everyone, and welcome to a small episode of The Bloody Pit. We're focusing this time around on a few emails, and we have even a special guest. But first of all, I am Rod Barnett, along with... Troy Dean. How you doing, Troy? You doing okay tonight? I'm fine, man. I'm fine. Let's do everything we can to make sure you don't sound like you fell down a well. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and joining us, because... He is a man of a thousand desires and someone who, uh, to some of you, will need no introduction, but honestly, to others, he just might. Mark McLeod. How are you doing today, sir? I, I am doing great. I'm doing great. How, how about y'all? Is, is, it, is it nice weather there finally? I mean, we, we had like this terrible wintry weather for the past week or so. It's gone back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. March in like a lamb and out like a lion now? Is that what's happening? More like in like a tornado and out like diarrhea. It's That's right. <laughs> well, well, I was unloading from uh, over the weekend, the St. Patrick's gigs, you know, that I had over last weekend. And uh, when I was unloading my gear, loading my gear back into my house, it, it I thought to myself, this was like December. <laughs> I was like, I, nice. I, had, yeah. I, had to put on, I had to put on gloves and a wool cap, you know, just to get my gear in. I thought this is insane. Oh, yeah. It's like if you, you know, it's like this feels like December. But, but yeah, now this week is, but here it is, like not even a full week later, and and yes, it actually is gloomy here, but a temperature that's more like what one typically associates with spring. Uh, and you know, and I think the next couple of days are going to be kind of nice. Uh, we probably still will have at least one more cold snap uh i would expect you know they'll probably drop again here at some point yeah <laughs> you know yeah we are, we are celebrating uh uh eastern uh tennessee and western carolina 30 years ago i think this week actually had what's considered the blizzard of the century you know like like they it, it basically oh, yeah. It, yeah it was like like in a march uh it dumped like two feet overnight on both sides of the mountain and and uh now people still talk about it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yes, Marco. Uh, Rod and I know all too well who you are, but uh, yes, tell, <laughs> tell 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 our tell our unwary listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I I, uh, I live in a, a town called Asheville, North Carolina, uh, a really bizarre, weird, artsy uh, town. And uh, we well, used to be the redhead stepchild of the state, but anyway, 20 years ago, I opened a video rental store called Orbit DVD. Um, I realized about 10 years ago that that hey, this video rental business uh, might not have a, a shelf life to it. So, so I uh, started changing what was happening in the store. So, so basically now uh, we're no longer renting movies, although that could return. Uh, we have a website uh, that's doing very well. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I think most people know me now for our online business out there. And you started uh, along with that. I think you started to make kind of more uh, uh, tr- convention appearances and things with your selling your stuff, right? I mean, yeah, that's- yeah. I think after the uh, the pandemic, we we want really want to put ourselves out there. And I honestly never, until actually, believe it or not, last year went to a convention. I never oh, went. Wow. Yeah, yeah, never. And uh, well, I'm not, I'm not really an autograph guy, you yeah. know. And I always view these things like going, well, I'm gonna tell this person I idolize, you mean a lot to me. They're gonna say yes. I, I worked on Music Row in Nashville, so I saw a lot of that myself personally. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like going, well, I don't need to tell these people that. Uh, but you know, I was pleasurably surprised 
pleasantly surprised that like it's not that you know it's like yes people are there for autographs and mm-hmm. and, and photographs and things like that but it's just a camaraderie the community yeah. and uh yeah yeah so we, we, we've done quite a few conventions uh, over the past year and a half and and uh not no, no stopping now and I can see also, you know, when you've been running a store for 20 years, whose basic besides the rental thing has been to procure and sell stuff. You don't really need to go out and buy and hoard a lot of stuff, you know, at like conventions. <laughs> so that also wasn't a draw, really, I guess, to, yeah. you know, to go and, and collect and find, you know, accumulate a bunch of collectibles when your whole, you know, part of your whole living was, you know, was 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 ordering them for your store and selling collectibles in your store. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, my, it, it, that that whole sort of scrounger or collectability is in my D- DNA. I mean, I, I love going out and buying collections. I, you know, we just uh, a couple months ago we drove to Richmond, Virginia, and bought a, a, someone's collection. Uh, so, so you know, I'm always willing to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like you know, it's a it's a weird marketplace where you know, like, it's not so much the collectibles are in the now. You know, like there, there's there's items that that companies are releasing this month that are going to be collectible next month. So so oh, yeah. yeah, so that that's it's just been a weird flip in the market for me understanding because we also sell video games and, and mm. toys and stuff like that. You know, it's like you're not looking for cl- older collectibles. You know, like you are selling new collectibles, and and uh, it, it's it's been you know definitely a change for me for sure. And mm. but I, I still love digging through racks i love digging you know in people's basements and things like that to, to a point you know if you smell the you smell the urine you're you're out of there pretty quick but like uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as you know <laughs> well one of the things that you deal with that i think is uh is one of the the things that of course draws my eye being the the type of geek that i am is that one of the things that you deal with is you import and and sell blu-rays and dvds from other countries uh which which is a big deal for for you know, lunatics like me who are always looking for oh, yeah. the best version of something, or at least the a release of something that isn't going to get a release necessarily here in the states. And uh, I just wondered how did how did you get how did you get caught up in that because that that is you, you do sell a lot of video, and I'm just wondering how the uh, how did it start? Were you just was it part of the rental business and just grew out of control? Yeah, or did yeah. You, did you it, yeah, it out? I, I, I say the selling of everything started actually. It started with one movie, believe it or not. Like we. You know, we're buying, you know, like say Screen Factory titles. Like I would say, you know, they're not the first company out there, but like they're maybe the first big company out there outside of Anchor Bay. You know, like Anchor Bay sort of like waned a little bit. And I think like Shout Factory picked up the slack, especially when they started the uh, the Screen Factory offshoot. Uh, I always sold our rentals off the shelf. My, my philosophy was if I can replace this rental, I'll sell it to you. And Asheville being Asheville is a big tourist town. So tourists came in all the time. They wanted to check out a video store. We're like a, you know, relic of the past, I guess. And, uh, and they would bring up items all the time. So is this for sale? So, well, everything's for sale. Is, are you willing to pay the price for it? So uh, there's one title in particular that is just sold every week. And it was actually Pumpkinhead. Uh, Screen Factory's, yeah, Screen Factory's Pumpkinhead. Literally, we sold our rental copy literally every week. And I'm like going, well, okay. Um, I got to stop throwing these slipcovers away. 
Because they really put them in a pile, like a, and, right, and, and, you, and use it and use yeah, it to light really, cigarettes off of. I don't know. They really got in the way for the rental business, you know. So, uh, so, so I said, let's 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 start with a shelf of Scream Factory. So we brought in, of course, Pumpkinhead, but also yeah. like by that point, like you know, we're talking like maybe twelve years ago, I guess, maybe ten years ago. You know, the John Carpenter films are already on Scream Factory. You know things like that. So, so we, we had started off with a shelf, which grew into a section, which grew into a wall, which grew into a store. So, you know, like, and and I, uh, I had to really credit as far as the imports go, uh, some employees that really were pushing me to acquire foreign films. They go, hey, this company is putting this out. We can't get it. Do you want to get it? I said, well, yeah, I'm happy to rent that. I go, well, we want to buy copies too. I said, well, let me bring five in. So, so we were able to find uh, at first distributors and, and uh, uh, starting in uh, England. And, and, uh, and eventually we, 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 we set up some, some direct contacts with, with uh, companies directly. But like uh, even before the pandemic, even before we started selling online, we were selling uh, foreign imports in our store. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a lot, of course, uh, but we started talking to people that are coming in and shopping and, and just, you know, go, Hey, Oh, you're a horror fan. Okay. You, you, you know, you, you're, you're local. You just move here. I go, no, I, I, I drove here. And I said, Oh, you're visiting friends. I go, no, we drove to see you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you drove, you drove from Charlotte or Atlanta. Yeah. They go, no, we drove from Baltimore. We drove from Holy Cleveland. Crap. We drove from Miami. <laughs> you know, I'm like yeah. going, what the hell is going on? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so the pandemic, of course, you know, forced us to change a lot of things, and and said, so, well, I got this old, crappy website that just has our store hours for old people to look up. Let me <laughs> let me toss these movies on here because I had a store full of movies for sale, um, and it turned out being movies that people really wanted, like, like out of print films. So uh-huh. so you know, I, it, it really took off from there, and uh, I said, well, okay, England's working great. What other countries can we order from? So it's like, well, Australia. Let's look at Australia. So, so we we started bringing stuff in from Australia, and and uh, so the the toughest nut to crack was Germany, or actually continental Europe. And uh, I, I I emailed probably two dozen German and Austrian companies, uh, and and in a very efficient German and Austrian manner. I said, do you sell movies or do you, can you recommend a distributor? And they go nine. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's no, Uh, you know, very, very, very distinct and very short and direct. It's like, great. But finally one place uh, uh, said, I think it was camera obscura. Yeah. Camera obscura goes, no, but you need to talk to this guy. So it was like, Oh, okay. So, so now uh, thanks to, to them, we were able to bring in uh, German films, French films, Italian films. So yeah, I, you know, my, my, my next nut to crack is, is uh, uh, South Korea and Japan. And that's been tough, but like, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm determined. I'm determined yeah. to, uh, to get that stuff in here, but like, uh, yeah, yeah it, 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 it's, it's just been a journey. And it's a fact that it was like, you know, I, I don't like hearing no, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, I, I, I want to get this stuff in here. And uh, and that that's just been sort of the drive for the at least at least the past five years or so. I know at least in the case of Japan, I mean, uh, is it are there like maybe West Coast branches distributors of or that handle film companies have offices in like in California that kind of are their U.S. representatives? I mean, I wonder if some of their video companies do too. You know, if they 
have a domestic. Yeah. Here's the thing about Japan. I've learned this through the video game market and and uh, and toy market is that like they're only making product to serve Japan. Mm. You know, it's like they're only making things to to satisfy their population, which is huge. You know, it's a very large yeah. population there. Right. Um, it, it, anything that they are able to export is kind of a bonus. You know, it's like we're, we're lucky to have this from them. You know, it's like like uh, it, and and I have to just approach it from there. Now, the issue I run into, especially with with German films and a lot of continental European films, is that like you know, an English speaking film is okay, but any foreign language film, there's no guarantee that there'll be any English subtitles on it. Mm-hmm. So, so usually like in the case of like, you know, we were importing, uh, we are bringing in, uh, uh, I think the ring from Germany, uh, yeah. mainly just for the covers. Mm-hmm. It's just for the artwork. Like you, you're not gonna be able to understand unless you know Japanese or German or French or, uh, Italian is like, you're not going to be able to decide, you know, decipher what they're saying in, 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 you know, Ringu, you know, basically, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Because, but the, the artwork is amazing. It's like a, a, a Junji Ito type of type of artwork. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, so Japanese films, a lot of those aren't are subtitled at all. So, so you have to keep that in mind as well. I mean, there's like it's an amazing resource uh, that imports everything, and I think they're actually we kind of tracked them down to India, uh, Play Asia. Um, well, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a great resource for for films and games and all sorts of toys and all sorts of stuff. Um, but you know, we we always like trying to find the most direct source I can to to this stuff, and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep hunting it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I know that uh, it was it was funny to me uh, a few years ago. Got to know some people, and out of the blue, one of them mentioned Orbit DVD, and I wasn't sure that they were talking about you. I thought it had to be something else, and then asked a few more questions, and I suddenly realized that they were talking about you and calling you by name. And I was like, holy shit, I've known this guy forever. Right. What are you serious? You, I've <laughs> never met you before and you know him and you, it's because you are buying things from him through them. Okay. Well, that was weird. So you are quite, you're quite the entrepreneur and you keep finding ways to wiggle your way into new, into new markets. And I'm, I'm continually impressed. Yeah. He, he, here's the thing about that. I, I like working for myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't know if I understand. I don't know if I can get a job outside of this. So, you know, I, I, I am uh, my, my credo since the day I opened 20 years ago was adapt or die. And, yeah. you know, it's like I've been constantly, even as a rental store, constantly changing what I was doing. People come in who haven't been in in about a year or six months, and, and the store has been completely remodeled, completely redone, re-merchandised. We've moved everything around. We've taken tons of stuff away. We bring tons of new stuff in. And it's, it's a complete fresh start. It's like I, I hit the reset button constantly. And, and in the case of like the rental stuff, yeah, it's like, like uh, you know, people still come in that think all I do is rent movies. So a local will come in and, and you know, it's a really I got a pretty funny story from a few years ago where like the store's hopping. Like, like there people are just, they got piles of books and movies and, and toys in their arms. Absolutely, you know, huge, busy, busy uh, night. And like this guy comes in, looks around for a minute. And he goes, he goes, you rent movies. I said, well, we got some movies for rent. They go, how are you making it? I said, dude, look around you. You know, it could be perceptive. Let me give you a clue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, 
So, uh, you know, or, or, Orbit's been a billion different things, you know, and, and I like, you know, I, I like, it, honestly, the, the DVD uh, uh, end of it, you know, it's kind of like me and Diabolic, you know, I think we're sort of holding on to, <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. a, a name, yeah. you know, we're like, well, this is the name I started with. I don't, I'm not going to change it, you know, it's like, because it was DVDs was a prevalent format when, when I first opened yeah. it. I'm sure for Jesse and Diabolic, the same thing. But yeah. like, uh, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, DVDs are the new VHS. I tell the younger people, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, did yeah. your VHS collection get DVDs? Or they're they're way better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like like yeah, well, yeah. Uh, people like you know like have run into me like going, I can't I can't believe you're doing what you're doing. It's like, well, I I I can't either. You know, it's like, but. <laughs> It's 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 a path that that, that I've been led down, and, and and we're doing quite well. I think after twenty years, we might actually be okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you've managed to you know raise raise some kids and 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 uh, have a life. So well, you know, you're doing something. I right mean, the, the the have a life thing is debatable, but like, yeah, the the, the raising the kids <laughs> and normal kids, they actually have not come back to the house. So like, you know, they, they're, they're, they're successful. You know? <laughs> Good to know. I, you might find, you might want to find a plank of wood to whack oh, right. a couple of times just to make sure. <laughs> but listen, you, we have called you here. Uh, we, we've, we've had a cut. We, we have a, a desire to have a conversation with you about uh, Paul Nashi, but that will be for another time. Yes. The reason you're here tonight is what I'm going to lead into with this first email. We got this email <clears throat> on uh, March the 1st, and it was from uh, from uh, someone named uh, John G. That's really the only uh, the only name that I'll attribute to him. But he sent us a se- he sent us several links related to our puffin stuff episode, mm-hmm. and included in that was the uh, <clears throat> was linked to the L.A. Times uh, uh, article that was really the obituary. For Nicholas Nadu, known as Nicky, uh, he had passed away in 1989. He, he was a creator associated with the, the Croft Productions. He worked for them for like 25 years, and it was really him, apparently, who was responsible for a lot of the designs for H.R. Puffin stuff and Leadsville and the Bugaloos. Wow. And uh, he, he, he was uh, one of those people who worked for the, the Croft Brothers for <laughs> a very long period of time and helped stage some of the specials for Donnie Marie Osmond and Raquel Welch. And stuff like that, and so that led ne- necessarily into his second link, which is the Croft Entertainment public auction that went down uh, a few years back, and then uh, an article uh, on the auction of a bunch of Bugaloo's stuff, uh, which is pretty interesting, and then more information about when the uh, the Croft brothers got their uh, their names on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which was pretty cool, and uh, the um, <laughs> the 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 body of the email. Is made up of uh, of this. He says uh, uh, Hanna Barbera's TV animation studio decided to take a step into live action, featuring life size puppet suited characters for a new series, The Banana yeah. Splits. Uh, they had a show they were doing for NBC and Kellogg's. They didn't know how to do it, says Marty Croft. The Crofts built the costumes for the four main characters based on sketches from Hanna Barbera's art- artist, then hired their own team to refine and develop them, and eventually build them. After the costumes were delivered, Sid recalls Larry White, then head of programming at NBC, telling them, quote, you guys are really insane. <laughs> Why don't you come up with your own idea? Why don't you come up with your own idea for a show? Unquote. Centered on a friendly human-sized dragon named Luther, who had first been made as an entry into the Hemisworld, the Hemisphere 
1968 World's Fair in San Antonio, H.R. Puffin stuff, was born. And from that descends all madness. Once again, people, he's a dragon in cowboy boots. I cannot emphasize enough how everyone should be terrified of this. So, <laughs> Luther was designed by Tony Urbano and modified by the Croft team at the factory, but the majority of the Croft's characters were designed under the creative supervision of Nicky Nadu, whom uh, Sid Croft met one evening after a show at the Roxy Theater in New York. Uh, Nadu, a ballet, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly, was a ballet dancer at the time and impressed the puppet master with a book of his art. And upon re-meeting in L.A. in the early 60s, the, Croft, the Crofts hired him as a designer for Les Poupées. That was their adult-themed uh, stage show that got them a lot of attention on both coasts, actually. Uh, Nadu had about 10 artists working under him. We would have an idea in mind of what we were looking for, Marty explains, but didn't really know how they should look. So we'd give them an, give them all an assignment, and they'd each take their shot at it. And then Sid and I would pick which ones we liked best. The figures and puppets were then fabricated by Rolf Rodinger, who ran the Croft's Creature Shop. Nicky brought Rolf to us, Sid recalls. He and Nicky would work closely because Rolf understood what the person inside the suit was going to need. Like mainly a place to sweat. Uh-huh. Think. <laughs> the, the 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 endless details about that you can find out about the 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 Croft Productions I find more and more fascinating as I as I read more and more. But one of the things that I had completely forgotten about that came up as we were recording our show on uh, the the Puffin Stuff film a month or two ago was, like I say, completely purged from my memory. But something that uh, once brought back up became an unforgettable thing that I knew eventually we would end up talking about again. But little did I know how impressive Mark McLeod's attachment to this particular part of the Croft legacy would be. (laughs) And of course, what we're talking about here, people, is the terrifying thing known as the Croft Amusement Park in Atlanta, (laughs) Georgia. Now, the world of Sid and Marty Croft was the name of it, and it was centered in the uh, CNN Center there in it, downtown Atlanta, Georgia, in a uh, in a place that uh, made sure that it was only going to last a certain amount of time. This did not have the uh, the long life that say, oh, a Six Flags or a Disney World or uh, you know cheap carnival set up in the parking lot of a <laughs> of a, a, a a sports center or or mall would even have. No, this thing lasted only six months. And the uh, the failure of it, while being pretty massive, makes it even more of a kind of legendary thing. But God save us if Mark, Mark, as a child, you got to go there, didn't you? Yes, tell us. We have to hear this story. Yes. Are you ready? We're ready. <laughs> how, how awesome how awesome was the crystal carousel i have to know well yeah yeah i'm, I'm gonna lead up i mean that that that's the oh that's oh, the crescendo okay. that's that that is I absolutely yeah the the amazing part of it yeah so so basically just to give you a small backstory uh my mom is from the atlanta area my uh, grandparents lived in atlanta uh you know we went we spent summers down there with them we are the oldest me and my brother are the oldest of uh, five grandchildren by about 10, 15 years. Uh, so, so we had my grandparents all to ourselves throughout the seventies. Uh, absolutely amazing set of grandparents. We love them to death. Uh, you know, and also like Atlanta in the seventies was kind of awesome. It was, I think maybe 
probably the largest city in the yeah, South. It's yeah. like a non-coastal city, you know, mm-hmm. but like, uh, but still kind of had a small townness to it. They, they live near Emory University, which is right in Atlanta. And, uh, but there was a, uh, a horse, like a, a pony track, like literally three, three houses down from their house. We heard roosters crowing every morning, you know, mm-hmm. so, it, it, you know, very still a southern, southern city at that point. So uh, fun city to explore. They took us everywhere. You know, of course, the zoos, uh, you know, Six Flags, I think, was already going by that point. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to say this was yeah, it was the uh, summer of 76. It opened, it opened in the uh, you guys might it opened, have that oh, information oh, up. But uh, uh, they heard about a new amusement park in this new facility yeah, is the Omni uh, Hotel. It opened in uh, and, on uh, May 23rd, 1976. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, didn't, it okay. didn't make it to 77. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Right, 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 right. So, so we, we made, you know, we, they took us to this new amusement park. And, uh, the, the first thing I remember is, you know, you walk in, there's an ice rink at the bottom and it's a pretty big facility, pretty big space, almost felt like a Disney world type of type of thing to me. Uh, but you rode this humongous elevator or escalator, uh, up a few floors and then you start working your way down. The first thing I remember was the infamous. Uh, it's a they they call it a roller coaster, but it's not. It's it is a a pinball game, yeah, a pinball yeah. machine. Like you, yeah, yeah. You it, it, it's basically as a car. You know, like it's a small world, or you know, Mister Toad's mm-hmm. Wall Ride, or whatever. You, but like you're in you're literally inside the pinball machine, even down to I think giant coins. But anyway, like. It gives you the impression that you're hitting the bumpers inside uh-huh. and stuff like okay. that. Yeah. So um, that was that was the I think maybe the first attraction that I remember there. Um, the second one is the one you just mentioned, which you know we'll go ahead and talk about. I, it you, you're led or you know it, it's pretty much all you can't just walk around. You know you can't go in every direction. It's basically just a, a one track or one way. Okay. type of situation but like that, that, I, that I remember but like i'm pretty sure the next attraction was what you just mentioned uh, you walk into this is a humongous room and the the, the, the big room is, is full of mirrors there's mirrors absolutely everywhere and in the middle of it was a carousel and the carousel was horses that were the uh you know the the, the sort of translucent plastic material uh of the time uh, so mm-hmm. that they were clear, uh, mm-hmm. and, and there was light beaming and refracting absolutely everywhere, everywhere. It, it was like seeing like a you know Pink Floyd <laughs> laser light show, I guess. You know, it was like it, yeah. I mean, it really was that that was the one image that has struck it has stuck with me for fifty years. Wow. Is is a, whoever thought that up? I, I bow to them, you know, basically, because yeah. there's, there's wow. nothing more, it, it, it most, one of the most striking things I've ever seen in my life ever, ever. And uh, so anyway, you, you, you ride that ride and then, you know, there, there's just the usual shops and maybe some food places and you work your way down. And then, uh, and then like the final rides, like kind of like a pirate of the Caribbean type thing where, you know, it, it, it's uh puff and stuff. It's animatronic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 
this puff and stuff and then witchy poo and you know i think they maybe had the you know like they like kind of like maybe like the, the haunted mansion they they had the projection of the mouse moving on on like a, a head well, well here's, like that, here, there's a description or, that I found uh, of an article talking about this place, and I think what you're talking about is it says in the final section of the park, they they lowered guests below the main floor in a mine shaft elevator to the Living Island Adventure. Is that what you're thinking about? It's a cart ride through. I, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it definitely puffin stuff was at the end. Like he he was, you know, he he's yeah. he's the reason why you're there, really. You know, so it's yeah. like, yeah, so like like. Uh, you know, like, of course, he's there as, as a sign or, you know, like a, a statue that you can take a photo with or whatever. But like, uh, you know, like the animatronic ride was what I remember to be the last thing you do. Um, well, here, here's the part. weird thing. It's like so there wasn't mm-hmm. a guy in an H.R. Puffin stuff suit who was there and like moving around and doing stuff with people. Yeah, there was other characters, uh, like like the like the coppers, like the uh, and I forgot oh, the yeah. characters' names. Oh yeah, the like bells. They they're supposed cling to be and uh, clang, yeah. uh, cling and cling and clang or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the, the, they were there. Uh, other other characters were there. Um, I don't remember any like Sigma the Sea Monster stuff, you know. And here's here's the thing. It's like you know, like like y- y'all are like a couple years older than I, but like in kids' oh, years, yeah. that, that yeah. that's a millennium, yeah. you know. So yeah, it's like. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you know, your Cinemarty Croft is different than my Cinemarty Croft a lot of That's times. So like, you know, like, like now they, I think, did they syndicate Puffin stuff? Like, I can't remember exactly how long that, that, that character lasted throughout the seventies. I, mean, I think maybe they had like a, like a, an, like a, a hosted. Yeah. They kept repackaging, they kept repackaging with, yep. a lot of the Cinemarty Croft shows into different, you know, they would use bits and pieces to uh, to to do different like hour and ninety minute long segments on Saturday morning. So Puffin stuff was around, um, yeah. In you know, with I'm assuming somewhat diminishing returns as 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 time went on, but they were always kind of putting that character out there to one degree or another until about the late seventies. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So 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 my Cinemarty Croft where I remember first seeing the name, I, I was a humongous dinosaur fanatic. Still am, <laughs> by the way, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course we all are. Right. So, yeah. so it's land, it's land of the lost, which I think yeah, is like, yeah. that was like 74, exactly. 75, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. So, so that was really kind of, when I saw world of cinema at Croft, that's like going, that's really what I wanted. You know, it's like, cool. I'm going to dinosaur land or, you know, oh, I think also it was Electro Woman yeah, and Dinah Girl. Yeah. There might have been two women dressed in that character, those characters too. I, I, I can't remember that, but like, uh, but anyway, I, I was I was hoping for dinosaurs. To be honest, but trust me, I was not let down. Yeah. <laughs> so you say your memories are good, like you had a good time. You remember enjoying? Oh it. yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember being it was fairly short. You know, it wasn't like that. That you know, it's not like not like a. A Six Flags or, or Disney yeah. World, where like you, you're you're committed for a full day at least. You know, it's like you're 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 in and out of there fairly quick. Okay, um, okay. Because I guess it was now. Am I right now? So it's it's actually the whole thing is indoors. I mean, is any of it? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it, it is an indoor theme park, and I think it was only I forgot how many levels it was. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, maybe three, maybe three levels. I I, I can't remember. And so you so really there wasn't even a whole lot of room to work with. And so as far as I mean, there was only so they couldn't be this big sprawling park or kind of thing. They sort of had to keep things pretty streamlined, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were definitely, you know, it's definitely the hits. Well, Mark, I, guess, I have a, know, I have a, I have a, I have a question uh, because there's something, when I, was reading, when I was reading descriptions of the stuff that's in the park, I kind of wondered which ones would stick in your memory and which ones I would have to resurrect and cause you new nightmares for. Uh, there's one particular, <laughs> there's one particular detail that, um, you know, we don't have photographs of this stuff, which is, which is kind of cruel and heartless. The fact that we don't have more, mo- more photographs from inside this place so that we could actually get a look at what it was like. But there's one description in this one particular article about a section of it that I find it's it's worse than a dragon in cowboy boots. I gotta admit, uh, it's okay. It goes, it goes like this. The quote is especially noteworthy was the grim, heavenly slumber cemetery, which was home to bizarre yes. talking mushrooms with the faces and voices of Cagney, Bogart, and Edward G. Robinson. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course I, I remember the cemetery. I don't remember the the uh, the actors. You know the the you know the that, but like uh, I because I, that, that's part of the puffin stuff, witchy poo ride, okay. as far as I remember. And, and but you know it's kind of like the haunted mansion. It's like you know there's gonna be a scary part here or whatever. You know so like that 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 definitely the cemetery definitely stuck my mind. The particulars. Uh, that that that's new to me. To be honest. Um, well, I as a kid, you may not have even yes. known who Cagney Bogart and Edward G. Robinson were. Yeah. No, no you know, and, and of course, I was seeing the you know the caricatures on Looney Tunes cartoons all the time too. So, you know, like like uh, you know, there, there's quite a few of those cartoons where they 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 just trotted out all the the A listers at the time, and, and I didn't know who they were either. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. In fact, I think Edward G. Robinson has made quite a few appearances in Looney Tune cartoons. This is true. So, <laughs> Uh, so you're 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 th- th- this is interesting because one of the one of the reasons it only lasted you know six months and then was shut down to be taken away from us forever was the uh, the fact that you know it, people were considering it to be a little overpriced for what you got uh, ticket prices I want everybody to hold on to their 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 hats for this because this is this is this will this will blow your mind the twenty five no, cents the, 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 the ticket price the ticket price to get into this amusement park was five dollars and seventy five cents outrageous oh man. But what's wild is that in 1976, it cost a good deal less than that to get into Six Flags. And you were there all damn day. (laughs) So people saw it as a bit of a ripoff. So as a kid, it clearly made its lasting impression on you. But for the adults forking out the dough, they were not all that pleased. So Right. I I can't imagine... I can't imagine like a Six Flags or Disney World or whatever where you want to go back. And I think maybe that that's the issue a lot with this this one is the fact that like how many times can you return to the scene park? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 you you experience it once and, and then yeah. you're done. And and there really is no rides. You know, it's like like yeah. a, like a, like a roller coaster uh, or whatever. So so you know, it's like you're there. There's people in costumes. They're singing and dancing. I don't. Rem- I don't remember any of the, the shows. But like, once you get past that, there's really nothing else to it. Well, it, and, it sounds like though you wouldn't have minded returning to that carousel from time to time. It sounds like it makes. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I actually have a funny story about my uh, aunt. My aunt is 15 years younger than my mother, so mm-hmm. she she grew up in Atlanta as a teenager in the early 70s. So she told us, and she she tried her damnedest to to really corrupt me and my brother uh maybe mm-hmm. to get back to my mom for some 
long lingering fifty shit. I don't know, but like uh, anyway, like they, she told me because I, th- I think that park set empty because like you know, Atlanta was still kind of going through some transitions at that point. Uh, downtown was basically unapproachable, I think, if I remember correctly. In fact, that's my only memory of downtown Atlanta of that time. But anyway, she said they used to hop the barricade for years after it's closed down. They and like the thing was to get a photograph or to puff with puffing stuff. You you, you would you break into the animatronic ride. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Like she, she, yeah, yeah. And they, they 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 would be sitting there just smoking, you know, passing a joint around puffing stuff. So <laughs> oh, I should have I should have expected that. That just, that's just a natural thing. Yeah. <laughs> because you know she 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 didn't go with us on that that trip, but she know we went. So she you know years later we were teenagers in the eighties and we were just talking to her about shit. And uh, you know she goes, oh yeah yeah. It's like you know I, we we used to get stoned with puffing stuff all the time. <laughs> just, um, like talking about <laughs> hanging out with their favorite drug dealer. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it makes you wonder how long that stuff lasted there yeah. until yeah. like say Ted Turner bought it, you know? So it's yeah. like, my I, God. I, I, like my dad went to some basement somewhere or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my dad went to some, he took me to some restaurant opening. He was in the food wholesale business. He took me to a restaurant opening and we went, he made, he had me skate there probably 82 and it still looked like the same as I remembered it at that time. But, you know, when, when did it change over? When did all that stuff get thrown away or sold off or whatever, you know? Just, uh, yeah. Who knows? No. Who knows? But, you know, I, and I, don't, I haven't really seen, because I, I did a little bit of internet digging myself, mainly it's to see personal recollections of the yeah. thing. And I don't see no, much. There's, there's, not, that's, yeah, like, there's I, not a lot out there. Like I said, we can't find any photos. There's no... Yeah, yeah. I, and I remember, because I, I had the, I had the uh, biography or autobiography of the Croft brothers... And I remember reading, and I could be wrong about this. It could they, they could have they could have adjusted this for inflation, but like they said, they were losing a million dollars a day. No, which I, I, I don't know. You know, it's like seventies seventies dollars, man. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you know, I mean, like imagine that. Like, like you've lost a billion dollars. You know, like like in six mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, so so you know, I'm I'm very glad that it happened. And, and this my own mind, and you guys might have a better recollection of you know. I'm trying to remember, like, theme parks are always of the era a lot of times. And, like, mm-hmm. like, and I forgot when Opryland opened, like, late 60s, early 70s. Oh, I don't, early yeah, 70s. Early 70s, I think, yeah. Early 70s, yeah. So, like, I remember, like, a lot of those characters were kind of of the times, almost like puffin stuff, you know? So it's like you, you stick your head through the banjo guy or whatever, you know? It's like yeah, it looks yeah. like it looks yeah. like a, a very a very 70s cartoonish character, you know? Well, so something that didn't come up. I don't think this came up, Rod, when we did the Puffin Stuff show, but I think something else everybody's always kind of aware of is the whole, uh, you know, McDonald's litigation yeah. thing that went down with uh, the crops, you know, the 70s and the 70s. <laughs> we had McDonald, McDonald Land with, and why those, you never see those. There's a reason you don't see those characters anymore, the Grimace and, and Mayor McCheese and the Hamburglar and all that, because, uh, yeah, they were. The crops felt that that was a little too, little too close to. Uh, a little too close, yeah. Was, yeah. But you know, like, like I said, it, it was a, it was at the time. Everything was colorful. Yeah. Everything was happy. Everything was, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a direct uh, uh, antithesis of the Vietnam War. I, I have no idea. You know, of course, drugs played a part, mm-hmm. which apparently, although like I remember reading that book, like I don't think the crops took drugs. At least one of them didn't. But like, uh, 
how do you come up with this shit without (laughs) doing something? But like, but, but, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, like everything at that time was just of the time, you know, it's like, like they're, they're going to Madison Avenue and say, we, we want this. And they go, well, what's like this? And they, they probably saw Puffin stuff and said, okay, let's, let's go this route, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Culturally, you know, huge for sure. Well, you can't, you know, I, I can accept maybe that the Crofts didn't personally take drugs, but you, you can't tell me that there wasn't a level of you. There wasn't a level of that humor that was directed at that audience. I mean, that there's there's I think that that's I think that's definitely that a lot of the humor, a lot of the visuals and a lot of the references. Oh, yeah. Were things that were are things that were meant to. I mean, Lidsville, for God's sake. You know, well, I mean, comments. yeah, I was going to say that. Like, so you, you made a show called Lidsville. So, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the Crofts weren't writing. Yeah, the cross weren't writing and directing the show. So like, you know, right, they, right. yeah. So like they're, they're sliding stuff in right and left. I'm sure. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, real, real, you know, man, I wish, I wish, well, I don't wish those times came back, yeah, but you know, it's the, like the good, the good, the bad you know, kind of meld together and you only remember the good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean like, but, but for a brief time, you know, puffing stuff could have been Mickey Mouse, you know, like, like Disney was mm-hmm. on the ropes. You know, like they, they, they didn't have a presence on TV outside of probably wonderful. Yeah, Disney. that was it. That was and, it. Yeah. Or Mickey Mouse Club, and and uh, you know the cross were everywhere at that point. So they 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 had it. They 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 had the brass ring in their hand. You know, it's just what happened. I feel a little better now that you know when we did the show and we we were talking about the first you know Croft we ever saw was Banana Splits, and then people later kind of pointed out to us that it was Hanna Barbera, and and uh, but I feel a little better. I mean, I, it's obvious why it's kind of easy mistake to make, you know, when you realize that the Crofts did still design those characters, you know, yeah. so that's why they had that very Croft-esque, you know, uh, look to them, even though it was for a Hanna-Barbera mm-hmm. show. Yeah. I, I, I had a shock years later. I was watching, actually, I'll leave it my grandparents' house. I was watching a, a Banana Splits rerun uh, on TV, and you know, it says, directed by Richard Donner. Donner did a lot. A, I mean, a whole lot of early television in the in the in the '60s. That's how he cut his teeth. I remember first being shocked after after uh, having watched uh, things like uh, The Omen and Superman, and realizing, holy shit, he directed several episodes of the first season of Gilligan's Island. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You, you learn your craft, man. You learn how to do it. And you you, you have to cut your seat somewhere, yeah. man, before someone gives you the the reins to a big project. You know, so it makes sense. I'm kind of surprised uh, on your story there, Mark. It, uh, you know, because it, you know, really does kind of surprise me that uh, they weren't that the Croft world you went to there didn't have a bigger presence of the shows that would have been a little more prominent at that time. You know, to your, you know, to to the kids like like you know, like you said, lost, you know, land of the lost. Uh, I'm really surprised that there wasn't some kind of more visual presence of land of the lost there and sigmund and the sea monsters you know because you're talking right. about the time it came out 76 <clears throat> it is considerably that is a considerable while after puffin stuff had had had, had been at its height of popularity right in, in the case of my grandparents like like you know because i was absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs my mom would try to find any dinosaur toy for me but back then in the early 70s they didn't exist there was nothing yeah, you know i was yeah. kind of a, like an aurora model kid you know, yeah. there wasn't anything. So, so she, my mom actually made me stuffed dinosaurs. She actually no. sewed, she got like a McCormick's pattern or whatever that is, McCormick or McCall's or whatever. Right. But like she, she got the pattern and she made me woolly mammoths. She made me brontosaurus. She made me all this stuff. Oh, that's so and, cool. And so, so my grandparents knew 
that I was absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs at that point. And I think if there was a di- any type of dinosaur toy at that mm-hmm. theme park, they, they, they probably would have picked it up for me. Yeah. Um, but but I don't remember bringing anything home besides this wonderful, now very expensive button I have. <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> Did you, you still uh, have the button. <laughs> you know, no, I, I had to look that up on eBay. Like, you know, like going, I, I, everything I have, I'm like going, well, let's see how much this is worth. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, like, like yeah, like, like there was no nothing modern. Because like also at that point was Electro Woman and Diner Girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, I it figured they'd have that out there too. Why, why not promote the new shows, you know? Yeah. Why, why not do that? So and I, I often confuse, you know, because daytime TV, I often confuse and then they all mesh together, you know. So it's like, you know, I often thought that Jason Star Command was Croft or, you know, like Shazam, you know, or oh, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But course, I would I would have yeah, thought like, that, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But like uh, they weren't. I think there's filmation that did Shazam. But like. uh now you can tell. Well, yeah, you can it, tell it, it wasn't the Croft brothers who did the Shazam show because when you watch it as well, an I mean, adult, you, you, you can't you stay it. awake. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> Zero drug references in Shazam. Zero so drug references. The, very little in the way of anything engaging beyond just uh, you know. Well, movement. no action. I mean, they're not yeah. even. No, I, I, I just no. remember a van and probably what, what, what what's that canyon they filmed everything. Oh yeah, well, not, not only that, it's like and you know ah here's our third moral of the week. You know, okay, God, yeah, yeah. 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 teach us something, please, Shazam, teach us yeah. something. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I like the same like uh, cartoon footage of the Greek gods talking to each other. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but you know, like that, I, I did the same thing for Land of the Lost. It's the exact same stop motion footage week after week. But man, I I live for Saturday mornings to watch that over and over and over and over again. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. this is true. <laughs> well, Mark, I want to thank you for uh, I want to thank you for uh, gracing us with your memories. Is there anything we've left out? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like like uh, I, I really, you know, twenty years ago, I wanted to make a almost like a, a travelogue or a, a a coffee table book about singular theme parks. Hmm. It, mm. it, 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 I, I was going to say family run, but I don't think. The world of Cinemary Croft was family run. I think that was more of a, yeah. you know, like venture capitalist moment there. Oh, it was definitely uh, the mob. The op- it had to be the mob, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 so the mob. Yes, <laughs> I mean, if, if you look, if you look, if you look carefully, you know, the the each Croft brother is missing a finger these days, and so it's, it's pretty. <laughs> if, you, if you look, if you look at the photographs, clearly, clearly, you know, you know reparations you know, it, had to be small, made. Small price to pay to, to to try to make billions, I think. But like, uh, you know, like like. The Cinematic Croft, the World Cinematic Croft, is just one theme park out of probably thousands that was on the landscape in the landscape up until probably the '80s, until it became all corporatized yeah, and, and yeah. you know, like and just taken over. And, and I think probably you know, like like uh, 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 lawsuits, you know, happened and things like that. Uh, like like there's a great one. There's a park near us uh, now that was open in the '70s. The uh, the Land of Oz. It's in Boone, North Carolina, Ooh. throughout the 70s. And you can still go there, hop the fence. It's a, it's a field. And you can see the yellow bricks. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. So, like, like, but, yeah, like, like you talk, I never went to that one, but you talk to people who either worked there or went there. They said, yeah, you start off in Kansas. You know, I had the speakers, and, and then the tornado came, and you, you walk out of the house. The house is sunk into the ground, and there's two feet sticking out, out of the ground. And then, like the the local teenagers were the 
you know, the munchkins, the, the like, like every know, day at every amusement park, it starts with the death yeah, of an yeah, old yeah, woman. Of course, it moves forward from stone there. teenagers. <laughs> you know, that's what we need more of these days. Is stone teenagers running theme parks. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, like, like, like I hear stories about land of Oz and it's like me telling the story of the world of cinema Marty Croft. You know, yeah. it was like when you caught, you caught lightning in a bottle now they lasted a while. They lasted, I think, 10, 12 years. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, but like like uh, in fact they, they have reunions every year of, of uh cast members and stuff like that. But um but like you know, th- there's there's places like that in Pigeon Forge, there's places like that in Niagara Falls, there's places like that all over the country. Hmm. And you know, they, they weren't of course as fantastical as the Cinematic Croft, but for the people going there, they mm-hmm. weren't. Oh, they were you know, yeah, they were they, a big deal, yeah. They were a big deal until everything got sort of consolidated and, yeah. and you know, it, it came down to the to the bottom line and, and uh, you know, like making it more of a regional place instead of like a, a local place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if every decent sized city had a theme park at some point. Um, God, I guess that's until true. Until the money, it, it, the cost got too high. So, um, and the lawsuit, the whole country, the lawsuit pulled, started to roll in, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if y'all seen the, uh, I think it's on HBO, the uh, the Action Park documentary. Have y'all seen that? Oh, no, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. Well, you, you have to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, it's, it's about a theme park started in the 80s. So, like, actually started in the land of lawsuits, basically, <laughs> by a guy who, this guy didn't give a fuck. Like, he, or, I'm sorry, but cuss, but like. Uh, oh, don't oh, fucking don't. cuss, man. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. But he, he, he didn't care. You know, like 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 kids were kids had broken everything at this place, and <laughs> I mean, it is in Jersey, so like it, it got a lot of traffic from New York City, tons of traffic, tons of people in this place, and uh, I think it made it throughout the '80s and, until finally it just got sued into oblivion, basically. And then, of course, this guy was you know you talk about the mob. I think maybe his dealings were a little shady. I I, I can't remember the whole story about behind him, but like. Uh, you know, he, he got away with a lot for a long time. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's fascinating. But in addition to, like, people were just fascinated by the whole recklessness of it. I'm fascinated with the fact that, like, it, it's a, it was a locally owned theme park. And, you know, th- those just don't exist anymore. Yeah. There's a, if they do, they do still exist. They're, they're very small and they're very few. Oh, yeah. Are, yeah. 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 I mean, like, like, like I, I feel like there's a, a writer for the Simpsons in the nineties that lived near Knoxville or grew up there because like there's a lot of references to that area. One being when they go to magic, I think it's a fairy tale land. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Like maybe season four or five. I can't remember, but like, like that is perfectly this place called magic, magic world. I think in, in pigeon forge. Oh, magic world. Oh my God. I love magic. Yeah. Forge. Yeah. yeah it's it absolutely to a T, you know, it's like, oh. it's almost perfect. Now it might've been a chain, I don't know, but like well, uh, I, that's a good question because, but Magic World, we always had to do Magic World when we'd go to to Gallenberg, even if we were mainly do going do things at Gallenberg. You know, yeah. we always had to. And in fact, uh, I give you a heads up. I'm 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 working on my, and you know, at this point, it's kind of stalled out for several reasons. But I am working on a solo album, uh, Mark, and 
the cover of it, I'll just go and give you a clue. The cover of it is going to be a picture I took at Magic World years <laughs> when I was a kid there. So I just I'll, I'll leave you hanging on that one there. But that's that's oh, what man, I that's what I plan for the cover art. Is it on the uh, the is the uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Ride? You, you do that one? It's, uh, it's <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, and that. Well, basically, it's it's I've said this I've, I've said this before about Magic World is they they truly understand the minds of 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 of, of little boys, you know, because they had. They had a, yeah, the dragon, the train you would ride, you know, the little dragon train that you could ride yeah. through the park. And they would put for a while until I think they probably all got stolen or whatever. But the first couple of times I rode them, they had these toy machine guns that they would have <laughs> that you could own your seat there in the, in the, uh, in the little dragon train. And of course, there's all those dinosaur statues everywhere. Yeah. And, and the train would take you through there and you could, you know, fire your toy machine gun at these dinosaurs. And I thought, okay, riding a train. Firing machine guns at dinosaurs. Yeah, somebody here knew what little boys love. Yeah. <laughs> all you needed was a all you needed was a cowboy hat, and like your life was complete. Well, no, a, a, a cowboy hat and Spider Man, and then you'd have had everything. <laughs> yeah, would be done. It'd be all everything wrapped in one big big package. It would be great. <laughs> okay, Mark. Well, listen, we've got a couple more emails here, and uh, since since you've barged in here to tell us tales of your childhood, we thought that uh, we would subject you to these emails as well. So hang on, hang on. I, I'm happy time. to happy to get my BS for email. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first up is that we'll, we'll do the audio one uh, from from our buddy Jason Spear. He sent this in to us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll take a listen to this and then respond. Hi, Rob. This is Jason, and I was just listening to the Red Sonia episode of the Bloody Pit with Court Psyops, and he was talking about his new UHD disc of the Red Sonia and how fantastic it looked. And I kind of wanted your opinion, his opinion, maybe Troy's opinion on HDR and UHD and uh, how it looks. And does it really look like the movies we saw back in the theater back in the... I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80s. I, I was too young for the 60s, but you know what I'm getting at here. Um, I kind of find that it doesn't look the same at all, and it's kind of weird that we have gone from home video that's gone from looking like uh, dog shit a lot of the time to it actually looking better than what you see in the theater. As much as Christopher Nolan will tell me not to believe my lying eyes, and I'm sure when Christopher Nolan has an original like negative he's looking at with uh, Christopher Nolan being able to afford the high-tech uh, digital equipment to milk all the visual information out of that negative, I'm sure it looks better in Christopher Nolan land. However, my memory of going to the theater to see movies in the multiplex that when you have the movie, you have the like negative, and then I don't know the technical terms, but you're basically making copy and the negative. You have to cut it together, and then you have your copy that you're going to strike the prints from. Then you have to strike the prints, and the prints, the the film stock, each different brand of film stock has its own like chemicals, like they're unique to that film stock. That they're going to react and re reproduce the colors differently depending on, on the film stock. And then you have to ship it to the theaters and then the projectionist has to build it. And then the projectionist's skill comes into play with the focusing. And then you have the camera equipment and the screen and the light and the bulb. And if that's all up to, you know, snuff. So you have all these different factors and I find it to produce the, the look of the film quite a bit differently. And when the 35 millimeter was projected like that, there was kind of, 
you had a little bit of room to play. I don't want, like, if you want to call it grain or a slight blur, but, like, the veil wasn't completely lifted. And while it looks great on some movies, like uh, like something like Lawrence of Arabia or Suspiria, the movies are made with a lot of care. Um, it looks great, and particularly dramas, it really looks good in. But I noticed in movies like Dragons Forever, I was seeing the faces of the stunt doubles for Jackie Chan and, and uh, Samo and Yoon Bu. I was noticing that. Uh, I watched the 2K remaster of Planet of the Vampires, the Mario Bava movie, and I was noticing the seams and the special effects more. Um, so when I'm watching movies that are special effects heavy, it, and even stuff like Shaw Brothers movies, like the beards and the wigs, I mean, that stuff was always noticeable. And uh, now it's really pronounced, even just it being upscaled like a really good new transfer of a Shaw Brothers film on UHD looks, you know, totally exposed like this. And even 2001, I, would, I bought the UHD for that. And I was noticing, um, like, you know, seams on the special effects I never noticed before when, I, when I've seen it on regular Blu-ray. So I'm just uh, curious what you think about that. Thoughts, uh, opinions, hot takes, would uh, love to hear it. And I'm not saying it's bad because it looks great a lot of the times. I'm just saying that some special effects heavy stuff, that kind of cinema magic, I just find it lifts the veil of that a little bit too much. And, and maybe I'm missing a setting and I'm being a boomer and there's something I could do to my TV. Like I'm watching it on... Like when HD TVs came out, first came out, people were watching movies on soap opera mode or whatever. Maybe I'm doing that. Please inform me. I don't think I am, though. Um, so, yeah, please uh, discuss. And I am loving the show. Uh, appreciate, appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, so thoughts, opinions. I have to say, first things first, uh, I don't have a UHD player. Uh, I don't have the 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 next iteration of my God. We're going to squeeze you until you die for a, for every you know for every new version of. I mean, now we're at 4K, and I'm sure that somewhere somebody is already you know prepping the 10K fucking discs. Well, there's, there's, but, uh, there's 8K TVs out now. I think 8K is the thing. Is the, uh, the thing? Oh God, really? <laughs> I could be wrong about that. I'm not. I, I I wouldn't be shocked. So I mean I can't speak to at least personally I can't speak to the the whole 4K thing. I'm perfectly happy to stick with Blu-ray and 2K and whatever else I can get with what I already have because damn it you tried to get me for a new format way too soon. You just tried too soon. But uh, as far as uh, being able to see, you know, the seams on, you know, makeup effects and things like that. Yeah, yeah, but that's been true to my eye for a long time. Yeah. Once once we got to DVD, I think I, I think I started to see more and more of the of the artifice of what we were looking at. Mm-hmm. Well, I um I do have a UHD and you know, a, a player, but I didn't get the upgraded player for that. It was actually I was my my uh, all region you know, region free whatever, all region player crapped out on me finally and so it was it was basically that i was replacing you know it was i was getting a new uh all region player and i saw the prices it wasn't that much more to get a 4k so since i was going to have to get a new player anyway i thought well okay i might as well just go ahead and get uhd player since i've got a tv you know that will take that too so 
So when it got yeah. that, but I've not, um, I've got a few 4K discs. One thing that I'm not feeling at all pressed to do is to replace anything that I have on Blu-ray on on Man. 4K. Now, if somebody, you know, I mean, I've I've got kind of like a wish list of 4K, you know, on my Amazon. And if somebody wants to give me one of those as a gift, that's great, you know. But as far as me going out and buying a lot of 4K films that I already have, uh, I'm not really feeling pressed <clears> to do that because I've not seen whatever difference there is hasn't been enough to make me just uh, feel like it's, it's, it's worth spending a lot of money on. How, uh, Mark, this would be something. Are, are you, are you having uh, much of a, uh, much interest in 4k discs? I have a lot of stories and opinions on this to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh okay. Good, go. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we buy, uh, we, we, we trade through mail, like our customers send me movies and, and for credit and, and things like that. And, and I see whenever, like, like you can definitely predict when a new 4K announcement is going to happen, we buy everybody's disc of the previous generation. So, you know, a good example is Vinegar Syndrome's uh, remaster and 4K release of From Beyond. Uh, From Beyond was worth a lot of money, uh, the Shout Factory release, uh, uh, up until, say, four months ago. Uh, once they announced it, I have bought dozens and dozens and dozens of copies of from beyond same thing for black christmas same thing for dog soldiers you know like you, you name it you just go down the line now then these these people are are hardcore hardcore collectors they want the best technology they want the best they, that's possibly out there it's, it's a very large part of our business 4k and a lot of times it it's worth it but i'm kind of y'all's mind where like going, is there really a reason to to upgrade? Like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, like like the upgrade from say a DVD to a 4K, yes. Uh, a Blu-ray to 4K, maybe not so much. I think a lot of it comes down to the master. You know, like like I like yeah. like like Deb, my wife's favorite film is Blade Runner. So I've seen every iteration, every format of Blade Runner you possibly can. Oh yeah, we actually yeah. we actually projected the original. Uh, <laughs> DVD release of Blade Runner in a theater and it was horrifically bad. And wow. yeah. Yeah. But now you, you can show a DVD of, of Blade Runner cause it's coming off the new master. It looks great. You know, that now it's not going to be 4k great, but it looks fantastic. So uh, I wasn't a believer in 4k at all until uh, one of my employees lent me the, the second sites on the dead. Mm-hmm. And hmm. And the zombies are a different color. They are literally a different color than any anything you remember in your in your wow. past. And uh, but according to what they said, that was Romero's specifications. That's what he Ooh. wanted. Wow. That was, I think, maybe originally what they were. And and just maybe just throughout the years through VHS and then you know the transfer to DVD and whatnot, uh, they just stayed the same. And, and, and the Dawn of the Dead to me was a revelation to where, okay, this can work in some instances, not every instance. Yeah. You know, like I, I would say an Argento film. Yes, absolutely. Especially when you have an absolute genius remastering it like Don May, you know, like, yeah. like, yeah, yeah Don yeah. May is, is, is a wizard, you know, like you, you want him to remaster everything. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, my God, look at look at what he did with Tombs of the Blind Dead. Yes, yes. So, so it's like you know, like 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 you want him, you want him to do everything, but he can't. But yeah. uh, 
a second site, you know, a company that, that we have, are very familiar with, you know, Dawn of the Dead. They just came out with Martin this week. Uh, they're going to do Picnic and Hanging Rock in about a month. Uh, you know, like they are geniuses at this. Beyond that, are these companies just slapping it in a, on, on a new disc and, and charging you 50 bucks? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the biggest people at fault are these these major major companies. You know, like they. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They're the ones. You know, now now two I think are doing a pretty good job. Uh, Paramount and uh, <clears throat> and Warner Brothers. Uh, but you get beyond that, I don't think they really care. I, I don't know. You know, it's like they, they said, okay, here's another format we can make more money off this stuff. So. I remember years ago, uh, I think it was Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers got in trouble for, well, not, not trouble, but they, they did a, they did the Dirty Harry box set, and they took the grain out of Dirty Harry Yeah, on Blu-ray. So it was like, you know, I he's remember. walking through, like, the nastiest, trashiest alleys in San Francisco, early 70s San Francisco, and it's clean as a whistle. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> and it's like going, no, no, like, Dirty Harry, you want it nasty you know yeah. you, you, you want it to be gritty yeah. you want it you want it like you, you want that grain you know it's like you do well, that's um, one of the reasons one of the reasons kojak is still probably my favorite cop show ever is i just love the way new york looks in that show you know oh yeah it just yeah looks like gray grimy you know which yeah. is, i just love the look of it and so oh please you're in love with telly savalas well i got <laughs> my crush my man crush on telly savalas is yeah there you go there you go <laughs> but yeah like uh you know, I, I I can rattle off a billion examples of this, but like you know, like like I think the 4K thing, I think it, you know, it, it's definitely not a fad. Actually, I think 4K sales are, if I remember reading this correctly, 4K sales are beating Blu-ray sales at this point. Wow. Okay. Um, huh. But but still the product, you know, believe it or not, still the predominant format is DVD. DVD is still the king. Um, uh, really? People will never, you know, but you can figure out how many kids films, how many TV shows, yeah, how many. True. You know, like like Hallmark movies. You know, how, how much of that stuff Christmas films? You know, it's like like religious films. How, how much of that stuff is only DVD, and yeah. that's still the, the predominant format out there. So, yeah, I, I have I have seen the 4K as Red Sonja. It looks it looks great. It does. It's Studio Canal. Studio Canal is another really good company. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I got to say, even just as someone who bought it because it's it's got a Blu-ray in there, and that's how I watched it. My God, it was revelatory. It's yes. beautiful. Yes, absolutely. You go, oh, now I get it. You know, it's like this is, yeah. this is they 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 were serious making this film. <laughs> so, you know, this, this, yeah. this wasn't as much a fun as you want to make it. You want to make of Red Sonia, and in the past, we certainly have. You have to have a certain amount of respect for it once you see it in HD on these discs. It's impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah, but you know, I, I would say like like my my dimming eyes. And my 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 deafening ears, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, yeah. you, you you pop in, you know, like I say, a combo pack, like like a Blu-ray and a, and a 4K that are remastered, you know, they're mastered of the same source. You know, it's like I, I don't know if I could personally tell the difference, or I I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't really done that test in a while, but uh, yeah. maybe I should. Yeah. It's funny, you uh, interesting you mentioned Blade Runner, Mark, because that's the film that convinced me to get a Blu-ray player. You know, I right. had a. a you know, DVDs when they started, when the Blu-ray came out, and I was just, you know, I was like Gilligan, you know, you can't make me, you can't make me, you know, that, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and then of course, uh, and then I, I remember I went, I think Rod and I went over our friend John Davis, you know, who you know very well, I went over John Davis's house, he had a Blu-ray player, and he put in Blue, he put in Blade Runner, and within the first few seconds, I was like, yeah, I'm sold. 
<laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 the hell with this. I gotta have it. I gotta have a Blu-ray player. Yeah. <laughs> I think the you know like like the, the 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 more the more recent formats I think do a better job at like separating colors. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and also black and whites look fantastic. I don't know if you oh, see yeah. like the uh, the Casablanca that came out last year from Warner Brothers. It it, it is absolutely incredible. And, no, but that's one know, of my favorite movies. So I do. Yeah. Score that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like 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 Blade Runner selling you on Blu-ray. Casablanca would probably sell you on 4K. I well, here's here's my question, uh, and this is what I think uh, Jason was kind of leaning toward as, as, a, as a question for us to a degree, which is, th- does it bother you that now with these higher, uh, these higher, dense, more high-definition prints of these things, does it bother you that we can now see more of the seams? Because I know that in the past, it's always just made me enjoy the films that much more because I enjoy being able to both see the artifice and also still get, uh, still allow myself to get caught up in what's being, you know, played out in front of me. So I kind of like having that little window behind the scenes on some of this stuff as well. Like when I can spot uh, when someone is wearing uh, a, a skull cap to right. appear to be bald or something like that. I like being able to spot that stuff and it doesn't ruin anything for me. Whereas I think for some people being able to spot the special effects seems does seem to, to, to downgrade a film for them. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for me though, it's like these films were never meant to be shown at home over and over and over again. So it's like, you know, yeah. you, you know, you maybe saw it a few times in the theater. If you're lucky, you saw a TV cut of it and that's it. You know, so it's like like these were not meant to be taken home and studied and worshipped and, and and obsessed over and stuff like that. So so it's not so it's not really so much the it's not, not really so much the disc format that they had to blame for that. It's, it's, it's just the the fact that they they knew making these films because I'm sure they saw it looking at the cuts. You know, like looking at the rough yeah. cuts, they go, well, just leave that in. You know, it's like it's fine. Uh, that they, they didn't care. You know, it the, the 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 disc the disc format has nothing to do with that. And, and the and the well, yeah, and, it, and, it, and it, at the time they're making these movies, for the most part, it would be the question of actually getting the film finished or not. Exactly. Like, do you want it perfect or do you want it finished? Right. You know, and you're gonna you're gonna take some imperfections and be happy, and or or you're gonna end up with nothing that you'll ever see. Right. You know? I'm kind of surprised that uh, I was surprised that uh, Jason. And by the way, Jason, uh, thanks for it's good to hear from you again. It's been a while, but uh, Jason uh, is a huge Godzilla fan, and uh, he's back. Mm-hmm. He he was on a couple <laughs> of Godzilla themed shows with uh, Bloody Pit episodes with us, and um, he because uh, of course that's a that's something that people notice. <laughs> you know, talk about how the classic. A Showa era Godzilla films, you know that that with each successive upgrade of technology, you know the wires, you know that that are holding all the multiple King Ghidra heads and wings, and you know, and all the are are starting to become, you know, more visible with each with each viewing, and 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 yeah, and it doesn't really it doesn't bother me, and I I don't know that it would even bother uh, Toho or the or the original craftsman who who made those model cities, and 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 I know that they did try and they did do a great job, especially in the earliest Godzilla films of hiding those wires and they would deliberately paint them, kind of try and paint them, you know, in a way that they wouldn't show up as much. But, but as a, you know, but really realism was never the point of those films anyway. You know, I mean, as far as yeah. you, know, you were actually supposed to appreciate that was a real respected, the whole suit nation and the, and the building of all those models. I mean, that was considered a craft that was to be admired, you know, that was to <laughs> be respected. You were supposed to see the time and care they put into it. And really, 
when you see when you if you do see the extra wires you know uh it just bring it on gidra it just kind of brings home more just how much work went into making that creature work you know and then uh right so but now having said that i've not watched i've, I've not seen any of the classic uh, well i mean i think there's only at least here domestically i believe the original gojira is the only one that is available now and in, in, yet in 4k i don't believe there's a 4k of right. any other classic Toho <clears throat> film. So as I, you know, and I, yeah, I think I, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and you know, like Godzilla wasn't doing backflips in that film anyway. So exactly. You know, yeah. It, yeah. So it, yeah, like it was very, honestly, that's probably the most realistic of all of them, you know, to be honest, yeah. uh, if you yeah. get, if you think about it, like, like that's really the one that at least up until more modern era where, you know, like, like I said, okay, this, this, this one, I can suspend disbelief easiest and, and, yeah. and think it's actually happening. So, Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting question there, uh, for sure. It, it doesn't detract from me. I think maybe, you know, a lot of this also has to do with the technology of the time and the filmmaking of the time and also, you know, like new generations. Like, like you know, I, I would play in the store, I'd be playing like a Ray Harryhausen film that that I absolutely worshipped. I mean, like a, a, like three or four of his movies are in my top ten. And mm -hmm. and like a kid coming in and go, that's stupid, you know. I was like, going, well, I get hurt, but he's not me from the seventies watching this thing. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it. So, um, I'm, well, I'm actually amazed you didn't like just murder him. And then, well, I mean, like, who's to say, who's to say he's not currently sort of confessing. <laughs> <laughs> I have all their names. I, I know where they live, you know, so yeah, but like, at least they, at least where they lived five years ago. Uh, you know, in the case of Harryhausen, you're able to describe the craft to him, and a lot of people understood that. You know, so yeah. I was like, well, this, yeah. I said, "This was one man yeah. laboring for months over absolute, you know, minutes of footage that he should only have 30 seconds in a film." You know, it's like yeah. and this, this creature has 10 minutes. You, you, you see emotion. You, you, you see, yeah. you, you, you see projection of the, the the craftsman in here, and and I think a lot of the younger people do get. Maybe the Harryhausen thing was not the the right analogy there, but it, well, that no, has but happened. I mean the thing is though yeah, that's like, a good that's a good thing for me to think about when I when I because when I look at those movies in high definition on you know on on the various Blu-rays of them that have come out, getting the, getting to see more detail in that work only makes me more impressed with what he did and how he did it yeah uh you know uh, it, it's 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 something that i don't know that don't get me wrong just as much craft and work and sweat and blood and tears goes into some of the 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 computer generated imagery that we see on screen in films these days but it's not gonna. It's not gonna be the same. We're not gonna ever reach a point where we're gonna see more detail in that <clears> stuff because it's already being rendered in high def, and any detail that you're gonna see is something that's going to have to be artificially created rather than be part of what was actually there physically, and therefore something that can be brought out in future iterations. Right. So there is a difference in that respect. Uh, yeah. It's it's it's. It's going to be a little different, I think, down the road with people looking back 20 years, you know, later at, I, you know, I don't know, the special effects in in uh, one of the Doctor Strange films. And you can still be impressed with it, but you're not going to find more interesting detail because you can now, ha you know, because it's now being projected directly into your brain or whatever the hell comes next, you know. Yeah. 
That's true. Well, okay, well, now listen, here's, here's uh, we, we, we need to get to this third email because I was afraid this third email would derail us completely, but little did I know that every email was going to derail us completely <laughs> and have us running off in all directions. But what, what this is, is uh, this is a, an email where um, uh, recently Mark Maddox and I did an episode where we covered a couple of the Machiste films that have recently come out on Blu-ray. And of course, one of my great joys in life is to finally see some of these movies coming out in nice special edition versions, uncut and beautiful, over here in the States. Because in the past, the only way you could see a widescreen print of a lot of these sword and sandal movies was by importing or bootlegging uh, a version from Europe that some that you know that would luckily have English subtitles one way or another. But I put out a call in there for people to throw out lists of their per- their personal favorites in the genre and uh, or just you know one or two favorites and uh, Tom wrote in with a list of his ten favorite from that <laughs> particular genre. All of them centered in uh, in that that fertile period from when uh, Hercules came out in '58 to really just about 1964, and uh, I wondered how many memories these titles would uh, would uh, generate in the two of you guys. He says, hi, Rod, I enjoyed the show very much, and here's my list of personal favorites. And so, so his, his favorite is not going to be too much of a competition for most people. He, uh, he lists, number one, uh, Goliath and the Vampires, which is uh, an astonishing piece of work from 1961, and it's one of those that right now we don't have a really good version of out there in the world. And I think Maddox and I spent a good deal of time lamenting that fact. I mean, you can go watch it right now on YouTube, but you know, it's one of those movies where you're you're looking at it the whole time and going, "Oh, this is this is amazing. Why don't we have like a you know a 25k disc of this damn thing?" But uh, the the list is kind of impressive. I'm gonna just go go through it real quick. And uh, any of these titles that jump out as particularly memorable to either one of you, we'll talk about after the fact. But he's got Goliath and the Vampires, Hercules in the Haunted World, mm. Hercules Conquers Atlantis from '61. Uh, Hercules from 58, Hercules Against the Moon Men in 1964, number six, Hercules Unchained, the sequel to Hercules, uh, The Giant of Marathon from 1959, uh, The Giant of Metropolis from 1961, that damn giant gets around, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, uh, number nine, Machiste in Hell, which is one that blew my mind when I saw it, and uh, number 10, uh, Perseus Against the Monsters. And Perseus Against the Monsters has a special place in my heart because it has the most memorable Cyclops monster you you done ever seen outside of some kind of Ray Harryhausen stop-motion effects thing. Have, have either of y'all ever seen Perseus Against the Monsters? I have not. I, I have not oh, either. Man. No. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, once seen, never forgotten. Uh, I will recommend seeing it. Uh, there is a print of it on YouTube. Uh, with English subtitles, and it looks okay. It looks it, it's not it's not it's not going to hurt your eyes to watch this version of it. But and the film's got a lot of monsters in it. But where it ends up is this like ten maybe twelve foot tall uh, cyclop monster that looks like I mean it's, it's got this one eye, but it looks like it's some kind of weird plant monster, and all the limbs have you know they 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 act like tentacles. It is amazing. It's um, it's supposed to be Medusa, but it it really is like this one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater kind of damn thing. It's amazing. It's it's like I say, what scene never forgotten. Uh, Percy, it's it's a hell of a film all the way around. Lots of cool shit in it, but uh, yeah, 
Perseus, Perseus against the monsters was one of the was one of the titles. It was known as Perseus the Invincible in some places, and it's just once again it's that thing. And I've talked about this before. Is like now that we're moving into the era where different uh, boutique Blu-ray companies are seeking out other genres other than horror to actually delve into and really dig deep into. We're starting to get into some really really interesting. But I wonder about you know so, some interesting stuff. But I wonder about the the financial viability of releasing big chunks of them. So I don't know how well, for instance, the you know Samson and the the Seven Wonders of the World, uh, or you know these different kinds of peplum films have been doing on Blu-ray. So I thought while I had the chance, I would ask uh, Mark, uh, do those do they? I mean, those came out on Kino, but I'm just curious, do they sell well? Do you are you seeing any movement on those? You, you got to either have the star recognition, or you know, in the case of the Haunted World, the the director recognition there. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I, I not not really. I mean, like that that that's really a sort of a lost Italian subgenre mm-hmm. that that I think a lot that that I think is very rich can be you know like I never even heard of any Perseus film. Be honest, it, that's news to me. I, I'm oh, not really? excited. Really? Yeah. yeah, I'm not excited to watch some Perseus, but like uh, you know, like like uh, I, I just wonder if it might be too old. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It, well, it's, it, it, it's, cert, it's certainly a niche thing. It's the kind of stuff that, unless, I mean, let's let's put it this way. You know, the hardcore horror fans looking for the most extreme gore, they're, they're, they're not going to give a shit. Right, they're not going to care. It's not going to matter. Maybe you rook a few of them in with some of the cool uh, monster stuff that's in some of the films. That's about it. Well, well, I mean, like 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 the the, the beauty of what we're doing and, and this whole sort of, you know, if, if you want to lump this into a, a term called boutique Blu-ray, these smaller companies releasing these films is it, it's not just, you know, the horror is driving everything, of course, but there is so many subgenres, so many other films that are, that are being explored and, and uh, released. You know, I never thought that we would, we would sell the hell out of, 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 of uh, Buster Keaton. You know, oh, yeah. we, we, oh, we yeah. completely sold out of silent Sherlock Holmes, you know? So it's like it, it, it people are eating this stuff up. And and I, I think that that this genre, the Pebble genre, would would work in a box set, a an affordable box set. Um, yeah. yeah. D- d- dare I something, say something under under seventy under seventy five bucks? Yeah, or even less yeah. than that. I, dare I say a yeah. Mill Creek <laughs> release would be. Uh, oh God, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I actually want some, I want some extras on these things, though, man. And, and hopefully they they want you know, and, and and I don't want to call out DCI or anything, but they they kind of botched for a lot of the fans the, the Mexican releases of the, the Santo and, and yeah. the yeah, Mummy. You know, it's like that. Whereas they've done, I think, amazing work with other other properties out there. Um, you know, like you you really got to least pay attention to what you're doing and yeah. and and be a good representation of of of, of the genre and, well, and, I, and i think people will come to it you know yeah. I, I think they will so i mean like you know like like the the steve reese stuff is 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 the carrot in front of the horse you know that's that's yeah. the that, that that's what would lead people to to buying a set or something like that so they include something well, see, i would think that the one of the one of the ends that people could possibly think of to to package these things would be to put together things like goliath and the vampires yeah. and machiste in hell because those have enough of a horror hook yes. to maybe get some of that attention but i don't know yeah and, and, and i have seen goliath and the vampires it's been a very long time but but uh you know like but 
that is, is exactly what you just said. Like the, there's the horror elements of that title that drew me into watching it in the first place. So, mm. so yeah. Well, it shows you how, um, how much of this, how many of these things were made during this time when they're at their heyday, when you consider <clears throat> like, I've only seen, I've only seen about four of the films from this list, but I've got those, you know, I've got one of those 50 packs, you know, those DVDs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've got those 50 packs of one that's called warriors, you know, and it's a 50 pack and it's pretty much all peplum films. And yet only about four of only, only a couple, only a, a very few of this list are even on that set. And that's like 50 films that shows you, gives you an idea right there. Just how many of these things, how many of these films were made. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. You know, he's got a list of 10 there that are there that are top of the line. Those are, those are some really excellent films, but they made a couple of hundred of the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was so, this the I mean, there, uh, were tw- there were twenty six machiste films produced in the sixties alone? Wow! So yeah, Rod, Rod you, you probably know the answer to this. Was this the first genre that the Italian film industry just really jumped on and just absolutely bled dry, or was there something before that? You know, uh, they they as far as bleeding it dry, that's a possibility. I think that they had a kind of a head start on it because they were making things like this. I just watched uh, uh, Ricardo Freda costume drama um, that kind of kind of fits into the sword and sandal category pretty easily called uh, Theodora uh, the Babylonian Empress uh, from is 1954 so even before the hey you know even before Hercules came along four years later and kind of blew up and you know became this huge thing uh, it was it was directed by Ricardo Freda and it's pretty freaking great and uh, so there, there was they were already making those things kind of in response to the, the the bigger budget stuff that was being turned out by Hollywood at the time as well, like, like the biblical epics or whatever, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and so uh, you know th- these these kinds of movies were being made by the Italians as early as the early fifties, and and I think honestly the late forties as well, because there's a couple from the late forties that I think were in black and white that I've traced uh, I've traced down uh, prints of that you can find on YouTube, also done by Freda, I think, uh, like the Iron, what is it, the Iron. Oh no, I can't remember the full uh, ironed glove or something. I'd have to look it back up again. But the uh, they were making this kind of cinema in the late '40s all the way through the early '50s, and so it wasn't much of a stretch for them to continue to make that kind of stuff and just kind of shift it into making uh, you know kind of bigger, uh, more uh, more fantasy laden versions of it to one degree or another. So the uh, the Italians bleeding it dry, of course they did, but they were also making them for a long time before they became like a humongous worldwide thing. Right. The a lot of the stuff made in the early fifties was primarily being produced uh, for the home country, and may, you know maybe other places in Europe as well. Because I don't know that there's an English dub of Theodora. I've got a I've got a subtitled version of it that was you know was subtitled by fans. It's not even you know, an official subtitling job. But the uh, the joys of it is that they're they're a blast to watch. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie, and it's just something that not not a lot of people have seen over here. But the uh, bleeding it dry, yeah. And then of course, you know, next it was westerns, and then James Bond movies, and everything else. But right. and see, that's another genre that needs to that needs to get milked one day oh, by yeah. the boutique Blu-ray labels is the Euro spy stuff. Well, Rod, we started with Puffin Stuff. Should we finish with Puffin Stuff? Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. I cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's fine. No, no, no. Go ahead. So, uh, so yes, uh, Rod, if that's, uh, Rod, you ready to move to our, our last and uh, very entertaining email we have here? 
<laughs> oh my God. What is this? What is this other email? I don't know. Oh, you don't? No, no. We had another. I was surprised that you must have forgotten about it. I was surprised you jumped to the others before because we have another Puffin stuff uh, to read. Oh, uh, this no. is from our friend Kurt. <laughs> yes. This oh, is, that's right. Yeah. Oh, this is, yeah. Yeah. This one's great. I can't believe you forgot. You're going to love this one, Mark. Uh, this Excellent. is from Kurt. Kurt, who has uh, written to us several times. Kurt lives in Sumatra, so we always say that uh, it's basically him and a bunch of Sumatran like rat monkeys, you know, living on on this, uh, uh, just uh, and inhabiting this island here. So, uh, <laughs> but he says, uh, "Hey, Robin Troy, it's Kurt, the guy from Sumatra. You do not have to withhold my name if you read this on air." Well, we didn't, Kurt. Uh, he says, <laughs> loved. He says, "Love the puffin stuff stuff." You guys were clearly having a ball, and so were we. You could do worse than to look for opportunities to get that particular Southern Fried Algonquin Roundtable back together in the future. <laughs> yeah, we uh, that yeah, and that really wasn't planned. I mean, it was planned in the sense that it was because of uh, uh, Stephanie and 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 Beth and John Hudson and and you know and me and we'd watched the Puppet Stuff movie and really enjoyed it and and wanted had kind of wanted to do a crop theme uh, podcast to begin with, but. We, when we got that group together, it was kind of for that reason. We didn't think like, well, this is the perfect setting or perfect kind of chaotic, you know, multiple voiced thing to just perfect for the Puffin Stuff film. But but in retrospect, the Puffin Stuff film is so just fast paced and, and loud and chaotic that so was our podcast. And that worked perfectly for that movie. <laughs> so it's kind of a happy accident. But, yeah, I think there's a real good chance, Kurt, that we will, we will have the group back together at some point, perhaps to do something else Croft themed, as we've talked about. But. So Kurt goes on to say, uh, I was particularly galvanized by Troy's call out to his altered or previously altered brethren and sistren to come forth with psychedelic tales of the dragon. And so, yeah, I had on the podcast, I had uh, just called out like, hey, was, you know, we were too young to have even thought about that kind of thing. But because of the the sort of drug culture that is associated with some of the themes and humor of, of Puffin stuff, HR Puffin stuff. And, you know, I just put out the question, is there anybody who really actually got high to this stuff, you know, in the day, back in the day? <laughs> or, so, um, so Kurt says, he says, thus I relate, having been born in 1965, I remember HR Puffin stuff as a constant presence in my childhood. I can't remember any particular episode or even a single incident within a single episode, but I remember it being on my TV. I remember the lunchboxes at school, et cetera. He says, about 20 years ago, I was at Burning Man. I was wandering around with a head full of trippy, trippy ecstasy. Not the kind of ecstasy, not the kind of ecstasy that makes you want to make out with your best friend since fifth grade, even though you're a boy who likes girls and he's a boy who likes girls. But the kind of ecstasy that makes your best friend since fifth grade's face turn into a skeletal mass surrounded by an asymmetrical geodesic light dome. He says, and then you want that's, that's, that's not that's, that that is not a necessarily good thing. Yeah, and he says, and then you want to make out with him, even though you're a boy who likes girls, and he's Skeletor, surrounded by an asymmetrical geodesic <laughs> light dome who likes girls. <laughs> he says, he says, it was that time in the morning when the dance parties in the center camps are in full swing, and the outer precincts of the village are largely deserted. I was enjoying the darkness and solitude of this part of the festivities, open to any sort of chance. Sim- encounter I might have there far from the matting crowd. I was lured by I was lured by a light and the quiet hum of a generator to a good sized tent standing alone out in the desert. I approached, there was no one around, I lifted the flap and stuck my head in. The interior of the tent was a perfect facsimile of an early 70s living room. A circular velvet and glass coffee table stood in front of a textured floral pattern sofa. On one side of the couch a space age mushroom floor lamp gave off a pleasing light. On the end table on the other side, a lava, lamp, a lava lamp did its customary creation of life in the universe simulation. 
Opposite the sofa, there glowed an old wood-encased tube television set, and on the television set was H.R. Puffin stuff. He says, I climbed onto the sofa and sat there mesmerized. The muffled sounds of drum and bass and the war whoops of the partiers in the distance faded from my consciousness, as did that eternal burning man dream of running into some naked counterculture goddess who was on the exact same drugs and was at the exact same point on the psychedelic continuum as myself. No, I was five years old again. All I wanted was my comfy couch, my HR puffing stuff, and maybe a bowl of Quispin milk. <laughs> he, says, Quispin. <laughs> he says, I can't remember much about what I saw. I remember that one of Puffin stuff's pupils rolled around crazily in its sclera <laughs> whenever he moved while the other people remained fixed in place, bizarrely evoking Sammy Davis Jr. Says, eventually, <laughs> eventually, he says, eventually the drugs told me it was time to head back out into the night. I'll never know who set up that perfect island out of time just for me, but it was truly a full frontal assault on Thomas Wolfe's hoary dictum, you can't go home again. For those hours, for those minutes or hours of that psychedelic night, I was truly home again. So that's what we have from I, I must I must applaud that entire essay. So, so, that so, is brilliant. So what's the question? <laughs> well, there's there is no question. He's just rela- he's just relating his drug fuel yeah, 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 with yeah, HR yeah. I, I wanted to <laughs> once again. Yeah. So yeah. he yeah. So we so he was the next best thing. We didn't actually get an account from anyone who actually got high <laughs> to the show at the time, but he he basically did experience it in a uh, altered state uh, twenty you know, about twenty years ago as an adult. Now. I'll say this: I don't doubt. I don't doubt a word of of what Kurt says from his perspective. I do believe that tent might have been a construct of the drugs that he was on. You know, that, 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 that tent was seventies furniture and TV. If if he were to see himself, to step out of himself and see himself, he might have just been sitting there by himself in the desert, staring at nothing. You know, and then just and that's alone. True. And, Very possible. So the entire, true. but that's not important. The important thing was that that uh, whether it was a construct of the drugs or whether it was really there, uh, it, it it was still an amazing experience. And that that is, <laughs> I'm so thankful. Thank you, Kurt, for uh, for for con, for uh, contributing that to the show. That was a great uh, great story. Well, it, 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 it's, it's also a great testament of like like your childhood experiences, your memories, your the good ones. You know, it's like yeah. you know, it's like like the, the, this was a warm feeling for me I, I i liked watching land of the lost or puff and stuff yeah. or you know, like like uh i forget the wolford whimper the the scooby-doo ripoff uh oh yeah yeah oh wow yeah right. and like yeah, yeah you know it's like like you know like that, that those are warm good memories and, and drugs a lot of times i think bring back really good childhood memories stuff that that you that you remember feeling good and and safe with you know so safe safe yeah the yeah, yeah. knowledge that you could all of your concentration could be focused on this for as long as you wanted it to be because all other things were taken care of yeah, right yeah. And, and and being yeah and being young you, you didn't have to worry about anything you know it's like that that yeah. yeah that's really i think what where a lot of going back to childhood it stems from is shedding shedding all the stuff from from the world that has, that's happening around you and, and going back to a place that, that, that you feel good in experiencing as, as, as a youngster. So that's yeah. a good point because you will never be absorbed in anything like you are when you're a child, because, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, the films we still watch, you know, that we loved as kids and, you know, and kind of, you know, calling to that 10 year old in us, you know, can still enjoy it. But really, truly, like you just said, that you watch them now and no matter how much you enjoy them and they kind of, you know, you, you get pleasure from them at the same time, half of your mind is thinking about the bill you have to pay next or thinking about, 
you know, oh, yeah. uh, how, what, where you have to, where you have to be tomorrow. You know, or, yeah. yeah, you will never you will never be as as completely 100 percent like wrapped up in 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 a monster movie or a cartoon or a, or whatever, you know, as you as you are when you're a kid. I mean, I, I catch bits and pieces of that that joy and that, you know, like that feeling here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, like like mm-hmm. I think I think most recently for me was uh, everything everywhere all at once. So I think that mm-hmm. that that yeah. took me on a journey yeah. that that has completely blew me away, and I was just completely engrossed and and just enraptured and 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 what they were they were trying to say in that film. And but but once again, that that was just a moment, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas a childhood is all moments, you know, like you have a moment every day as as a kid. It, having a, a good stable childhood, I guess, you know, but like, right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. But like, like, uh, you know, like, like you, you do catch things here and there, glimpses of, of that. Well, I'm able to, I'm able to recapture some of that. Uh, I, and I, I will admit that often I, I find myself chasing that kind of feeling, trying to experience it again and, you know, not chasing it like I'm desperate for it, but chasing it by, uh, by re-examining or re-watching different things that you know from my childhood that I have fond memories of, not just because I want to revisit them because my, the details are kind of fuzzy in my mind, but because I remember how I felt dimly. I remember how I felt and wonder if I'll feel that way again and if I can recapture it. And sometimes I found that revisiting some things from my childhood actually they feel they feel more. I, I'm more impressed by them. I feel them. It deeper or in a different way, but the the real the real magic is recapturing that feeling when you were, you know, you were laying on the floor in front of the big television on a Saturday morning, jumped up on a sugar high from from bowl after bowl of cereal you probably shouldn't have eaten, and wondering just exactly how in the hell you managed to get a car like Speed Buggy to exist and where <laughs> <it was going, laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Mark, uh, I think uh, we should probably wrap this up because this episode has gone longer than I thought it would in the first place. <laughs> I tend to ramble. Sorry. Uh, hey, I, I expected I expected to ramble. <laughs> if, if, have you ever listened to Troy? When it's just Troy and I, have you listened to us? We we bullshit forever. So, oh, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I don't recommend it. But for those of you who do listen, <laughs> we do go on for a while. <laughs> So for anybody out there who wants to uh, send in their thoughts on this episode or anything else we've done before, remember the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I think we're going to continue to do these separate shows uh, when we get a backlog of emails. Uh, I think it's fun to kind of break them off into their own separate little things so people can experience them if they wish or ignore them if they want. And uh, once again, I'll just say, uh, Mark, thank you very much for being here. We do intend to talk to you again yeah. for the Nashi cast to talk about uh, your your enjoyment of uh, the Nashi monsters. And uh, once again, Troy, uh, as always, I couldn't do it without you. And I don't want to find out if it would be possible to even try. Yeah, well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. And, and we should let we'll say one more time for everybody. If you're in Asheville, you must go to Orbit DVD. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're not in Asheville, go to Orbit DVD's uh, website yeah, and uh, yeah. check, check out Mark's and, thriving, booming business. And then, and then, and then the next episode, I'll tell you about my story of being taken to Fantastic Planet. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Yes, I want to hear that. That's, that's, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that's, 
That sounds exciting. <laughs> it wasn't long, let me tell you that. So, <laughs> oh my! Well, there, uh, there, thereby li- lies the hook to draw the listener back in. So once again, Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And that over there, in another state, is Mark McLeod. Thanks again, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.